I'm Jewish, the son of two Jewish parents whose families immigrated to America from Russia, Poland, and Hungary in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Toward the end of his time on this earth, in the famous Olivet Discourse, Yeshua, Jesus, gave a prophetic talk to his apostles about the future. And what he said in Matthew 24, 15 is relevant to the temple. Let me read it to you. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads let him understand. That's the end of that verse. The abomination of desolation refers to something from before the time of Jesus and to something that is yet future to the time we're in right now. And in both cases, the temple is intimately involved. We'll talk about this more in a moment. Father, I ask that you would bless the time of this message, that you would anoint the ears of those who are listening, that you would give them understanding of the importance of this, and that you would bless the words that I would speak and guide them, please, by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Well, let's just do a short review of the history of the temple. Not long after the Israelites were delivered from bondage in Egypt, God gave Moses instructions for constructing a tabernacle so that he could dwell in the midst of his people. Let me read to you from Exodus chapter 26, verse 30. And you shall raise up the tabernacle according to its pattern, which you were shown on the mountain. Now, folks, the pattern on the mountain refers to the tabernacle in heaven. Yeshua ascended to that heavenly tabernacle to present his own blood as a sacrifice right after the cross and resurrection. We know this from his conversation with Mary Magdalene as recorded in John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, to Mary, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Now, That was a remarkable statement that Yeshua made, Jesus made. So we know about the heavenly tabernacle and the earthly tabernacle that Moses built for the Lord. That tabernacle was filled with the Shekinah glory, the glory of the Lord. After the Israelites were settled in their land, Solomon built the original temple, the first temple. 
He was directed to do so by the Lord through his father, David. The design plans for the first temple were given to David by direct divine revelation, the same manner in which Moses received the plans for the tabernacle on Mount Sinai. King David received the divine design and communicated the details of the plans for the temple and all its furnishings to his son Solomon, as recorded in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 11 to 19. You may want to look at those scriptures at your convenience. Now, we, the readers of these scriptures, are just given a bare summary of the details of this temple. David was given all the details by the Holy Spirit, and David wrote them down for his son Solomon. In other words, David gave his son Solomon the plans. The description of what Solomon did in following these plans, that is, in building the temple and its furnishings and setting everything up, is to be found in detail in Second Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, to chapter 5, verse 11. Now, the glory of the Lord was most definitely in this temple. This is described in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 to 11. Let me read that to you. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. But folks, as the prophet Ezekiel tells us later, the glory of the Lord departed from this temple before it was destroyed by Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. The departure of the glory of the Lord is described beginning in Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 3 to 4. Now the cherubim were standing on the south side of the temple when the man went in, and the cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and paused over the threshold of the temple and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. Now, a little bit further on, Ezekiel tells us more as the glory of the Lord continues to depart. Reading, in verses 18 to 19 of Ezekiel chapter 10. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim lifted their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. When they went out, the wheels were beside them, 
And they stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. So, folks, they departed from the east gate of the temple. Now, this departure continues. I'm going to read now from Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 22 to 23. So the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was high above them, and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. And subsequently, folks, The Shekinah glory was no longer seen in Israel. It's a very sad thing. This temple, Solomon's temple, the first temple, was destroyed. And the final exile of the people of Israel occurred in 586 BC. That's the exile of Judah, folks. After 70 years of exile, about 50,000 Israelites returned to the land, and Zerubbabel, as described in the book of Zechariah, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah and grandson of one of the last kings of Judah, built the second temple. Let's read from Ezra chapter 3, verse 8. Now, in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Yeshua, the son of Yozadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, And all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. So again, folks, Zerubbabel was the governor of Jerusalem, governor of Judah, and Yeshua, the son of Yozadak, was the high priest at that time. Now, this second temple built by Zerubbabel, we will refer to as Temple 2A. It wasn't as grand as Solomon's temple, and the glory of the Lord did not inhabit it. The ark disappeared with the destruction of the first temple in 586 B.C. Therefore, in the second temple, during the Day of Atonement, the high priest could only pour the blood on the barren stone, which was within the Holy of Holies. There was no Ark of the Covenant there and no mercy seat. Now, this temple, Temple 2A, was badly damaged by Antiochus IV, a Syrian king who ruled from 175 to 164 BC and who ordered 
that the Jewish customs and religion be essentially annihilated. Although his name was Antiochus IV, he added the name Epiphanes, which means the manifest God, because he believed himself to be God. Antiochus issued a decree forbidding the practice of Judaism, including circumcision and the practice of the reading of the law. He ordered all of the scrolls of the law to be confiscated and burned. He instituted a policy of persecution for those who disobeyed his decree, including the murder of a great many Jews. He was also guilty of the abomination of desolation. What was that? Well, a statue was erected to Jupiter in the temple precincts, and a pig was offered on the altar of burnt offering. This is described in 1 Maccabees, an apocryphal book of historical value found in some of our Bibles. Let me read to you from 1 Maccabees, chapter 1, verse 54. Now, on the 15th day of Kislev, in the 145th year, they erected a desolating sacrilege on the altar of burnt offering. Continuing on to verses 60 to 61 in 1 Maccabees 1, according to the decree of Antiochus, they put to death the women who had their children circumcised and their families and those who circumcised them. And they hung the infants from their mother's necks. Folks, this sort of sounds like the type of thing that Adolf Hitler would do. Indeed, it does sound just that evil and demonic, and it was. Now, this desecration of the Second Temple, the first of two temples that can be both considered as the one Second Temple, (coughs) excuse me, this desecration of the second temple, Temple Two-Way, was the first abomination of desolation and a type of the one yet to come. This is described in Daniel chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 21 through 23. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. Folks, that was Alexander the Great. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, 
when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. Now, folks, this king with fierce features was a foreshadowing of the ultimate end times antichrist, who is yet future. I think that you can see that Antiochus desired to eradicate the Jewish religion and the Jewish people, and that is what the end times antichrist will attempt to do. The desecration of Temple 2A led to the Maccabean Revolt, which was successful, and the rededication of this Temple 2A is memorialized in the Jewish festival of Hanukkah. You can read about this in detail in the book of 1 Maccabees. By the way, folks, you will find in most new revised standard version Bibles, the apocryphal books between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So if you want to read 1 Maccabees, that's probably the place to go. And you can find that online. Now, this festival of Hanukkah is mentioned once in the Bible, in John chapter 10, verses 23 and 23, which I will read now. Now, it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. That's Hanukkah, folks. And it was winter. And Jesus, Yeshua, walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. That's it, folks. Hanukkah mentioned in the divinely inspired word of God in John chapter 10, verses 22 to 23. Continuing on, though, Temple 2A was left in poor condition after what Antiochus did to it, and the ravages of time also contributed. This temple stood for about 400 years. Now let's talk about Temple 2B. Herod the Great decided to restore and enlarge the second temple. And you could call the resulting very grand temple, Temple 2B. That's the temple that was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, as prophesied by Yeshua, ending the Jewish form of worship handed down to the Jewish people through Moses and resulting in the rabbinic Judaism that we have today. Now, that was a fulfillment of Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 to 39. Let me read those verses to you now. Yeshua, Jesus, is speaking. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes 
in the name of the Lord. In Hebrew, folks, that is Baruch Haba, B'Shem Adonai. That's also a fulfillment of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 13, which reads, In that he, God, says a new covenant, he made the first obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The significance of these prophecies being fulfilled was profound to the Jewish people and their religion of Judaism. Rabbinic Judaism represents an attempt at continuing the religion that the Pharisees practiced in the time of Jesus' ministry on earth, but without the temple. You could say that modern Orthodox rabbis are the descendants of the Pharisees. They would say that themselves. At least the Orthodox rabbis would. Now, please remember, folks, that not all the Pharisees were bad. Definitely not. Now, when I originally gave this talk in Israel a few weeks ago, I was standing on the southern steps of the temple. Those steps led up, lead up, to Herod's temple, Temple 2B. Now, you all know about the Western Wall, also known as the Kotel, K-O-T-E-L, which means wall in Hebrew. Does the fact that the Western Wall is still standing contradict what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2? Let me read those verses to you. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Yeshua said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, Not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. (laughs) Excuse me. Now, folks, the temple was completely thrown down. Not one stone was left upon another. But what we see today with the Western Wall and the southern steps are not part of the temple proper. They're part of the supporting structures and the structures leading up to the temple. Indeed, Temple 2B, Herod's Temple, was destroyed. Not one stone was left upon another, just as Jesus predicted. Now, Let me read again to you Hebrews 8.13. 
In that he says a new covenant, he made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. I believe that what the author of Hebrews was referring to was the Jewish religion that required the temple and all the sacrifices, because that all ended in 70 AD when Temple 2B was destroyed. And that was not long after the letter to the Hebrews was written. That destruction of the second temple, 2B, destroyed the Judaism that was practiced then, and the religion has never recovered. And folks, it never will. This was a fulfillment of Matthew 9, 16 to 17. Let me read those important verses to you folks. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Folks, Jesus came to put new wine into new wineskins. And those new wineskins did not include the temple. Now, religious Jews living in the Second Temple era, 2B, knew of a warning about what was coming, written down later in the Talmud. It's a quote from Yoma, Y-O-M-A, 39b, and I'm reading it from the William Davidson Talmud. Here's the quote. The sages taught, during the tenure of Shimon HaTzadik, the lot for God on Yom Kippur always arose in the high priest's right hand. Folks, that was a good thing. It was supposed to be that way. After his death, though, the death of Shimon HaTzadik, it occurred only occasionally. But during the 40 years prior to the destruction of the Second Temple, the lot for God did not arise in the high priest's right hand at all. So, too, the strip of crimson wool that was tied to the head of the scapegoat that was sent to Azazel did not turn white, and the westernmost lamp of the candelabrum did not burn continually. Folks, this is, in a way, more than in a way, it is a confirmation of what happened following Jesus' prophecy that the temple would be destroyed. Now, what about the third temple? This is what the Temple Institute, present in Jerusalem today, is concerned with, the third temple. It is an attempt, it will be an attempt, 
to return to the religion practiced before 70 AD. This temple is going to play a major role in the fulfillment of prophecy, and God will use it. But from the point of view of religious worship, can we say that God is pleased about this coming third temple? No. For God to be pleased with the third temple, he'd be contradicting himself. He'd be contradicting Hebrews 8.13, which we read earlier, and things that Yeshua said. In this third temple, which is yet future, the Shekinah glory will not be present. How do we know that there will be a third temple, and how do we know that it will be present during the seven-year tribulation, the second half of which is referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble. That's from Jeremiah. We know there will be a third temple because of what our Bible tells us. Let me read a few verses to you from Daniel and from 2 Thessalonians. Daniel 9.27, Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week... He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. That's the abomination of desolation, folks, the future one. Even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Let me read to you Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So folks, the abomination of desolation is going to occur again. It's future to the present time. It will be during the time of the seven-year tribulation. And it's prophesied in Daniel and elsewhere. That's how we know that there will be a third temple. That's how it was known by serious students of the Bible that there would be a third temple long before the reestablishment of the current nation of Israel in 1948. Let me read two other verses to you. Revelation chapter 11, 1 and 2. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles." and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Folks, that is referring to the third temple, those verses. And I have to read to you from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself 
above all that is called God, and that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That, what I just read to you, refers to the Antichrist showing himself in this future third temple as God. That is the future abomination of desolation. So in these verses, we have mentioned the third temple, the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist, or all three. They're all prophesied in our Bible. This third temple will be used as part of God's plan to bring to pass the six things that must be completed for the Jewish nation to enter the millennial or messianic kingdom, which is, of course, 1,000 years long. Daniel 9.24, here are the six things. Seventy weeks of years are determined for your people and for your holy city, Daniel, to do the following. One, to finish the transgression. Two, to make an end of sins. Three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Five, to seal up vision and prophecy. And six, to anoint the most holy. Now, folks, these six things have not happened at all to Israel as a nation. They have happened, some of them, to individual Jewish people and, of course, to a great many Gentile people who accepted Yeshua as their Lord and Savior and had their sins forgiven but not to the nation of Israel as a whole. This third temple will play a role in breaking the power of the Jewish people who worship in this temple, because as we read in Daniel 12, 7, that has to occur. Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him, by God, who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. These things will be completed in the second half of the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. Let me read to you again what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. And let me read to you Daniel 9, 27. Again. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, seven years. But in the middle of the week, after three and a half years, folks, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until 
the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Now, folks, it's Daniel 9.27 that tells us exactly what time frame Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24.15. Look these verses up when you have a few minutes. Jesus is talking about the second half of the tribulation, the second three and a half years, also known, again, as the time of Jacob's trouble and as the great tribulation. Now, this great tribulation is going to cause the remnant of Israel to cry out for deliverance, and that's when this will happen what is described in Zechariah 12.10. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. And grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. The Jewish people as a nation will repent of their rejection of Yeshua as Messiah. They will do it then, at the end of the tribulation. They will know what they must do. (coughs) Excuse me, folks. It's because of what Jesus said in Matthew 23, 37 to 39. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that is a messianic verse from Psalm 118. It's verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Again, in Hebrew, that's Baruch Haba, Beshem Adonai. The Jewish people will say that at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Now, folks, you may remember that at the time of what is referred to as the triumphal entry, shortly before his death, the crowds called out as Yeshua entered Jerusalem on a donkey, They called out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they then renounced that long afterward. They will need to say it again with understanding and from the heart. And they will do so at the end of the tribulation. And they will be saved. Then all Israel will be saved. Now, there will be a fourth temple, the millennial temple, that God will build on his return. 
Interestingly, he will have help from Gentiles in building this temple. This temple is described in Ezekiel chapters 40 to 47, and you can read about it there. It will be a temple like nothing that has ever been seen before. Yeshua will be Lord of this temple, and the Shekinah glory will be there most powerfully. Now, what does all of this mean for us, for me and you? If you're born again, whether you are Jewish or Gentile, if you're a follower of Yeshua, you won't be present during the time of the Antichrist because you'll be caught up to meet Yeshua in the air. You'll be raptured. You won't be present on this earth when God's wrath is poured out on it. But what about our Jewish brothers and sisters, those who are not currently saved, who are not currently born again? One day soon, all Israel will be saved. Let me read to you from Romans 11, verses 25 to 27. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. That's the heavenly Zion, folks. And he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That deliverer, folks, is Jesus, Yeshua. That will happen at the end of the tribulation. But what about now? God's program today is still for the gospel to go to the Jew first. God's pattern from Romans 1.16, where that is stated, has never been abolished. There is no statute of limitations on it. So seek to share the good news with Jewish people that you meet and those you know. Let the Holy Spirit lead you to just say a word or perhaps to say more. All Israel won't be saved until the end of the tribulation, but individual Jews can be saved now. And that is happening more and more. God desires that. He loves the Jewish people. Most Jewish people outside of Israel today are led to the Lord by Gentile believers. Maybe that will be one of you. In Israel today, there are already 30,000 Jewish believers. I'd like to close this message with a prayer from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come 
and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Brothers and sisters, in the millennial kingdom, which will last for a thousand years, there will be a temple, the fourth temple, from which the law will go forth. And then there will be eternity. Let's all look forward to that together. Yes, praise him. Hallelujah. Thank you, my friends.